Hi, and welcome to our latest RX Monthly podcast. Uh, today, you're joined by myself, Steve Bishop, and uh, Amelia O'Dan to talk about our latest look at the top risks our members are managing. We're, of course, also joined by the ORX news team for the regular roundup from news. So that's the top five. They're also continuing their series on data management with a look at data migration issues in this episode. This is, I think, a very timely topic to be looking at data. And I think as you'll find out as we talk through this podcast, data risk and data management risk is featured in our top five risks for the first time. To turn into the, to the top risks report, just a quick reminder of the work that we do around risks. So we look at what we call the risk landscape during the year, every year. There's two main things that we do. Firstly, we look at the emerging risk landscape and the themes that our members see coming down the road in the next 12 to 18 months. And that's published in our, our risk horizon review. And then around about every six to eight months, we poll our members to understand the sort of top risks that they're facing, thinking about also what's driving those risks, what trends they're seeing, and and whether they think those risks are going to continue to increase, decrease, etc. We've just done this exercise during June. Amelia and, and Steph have written up the results of this work, and it's now published on our website. Today, we're going to do a bit of a double act with Amelia and myself. So Amelia is going to give you a rundown of the top five risks. And then between us, we're going to outline some of the key themes that we observed as we were looking at the data and thinking about the results. And then also outline some of the, the sort of risks to look out for going forward. So what we see is the outlook going into the next six to 12 months. So with that, Amelia, could you give us a, a rundown of the top five, if that's all right, please? Absolutely. What I'll say before is that overall, we haven't actually seen a lot of movement in the ranking in terms of the positions of the risks themselves. But what we did notice when we analysed the individual responses in more detail was that it was, of course, obvious that a lot has changed in the world since we did our last review back in October, November last year. And that is reflected in some of the drivers of the risks. So before I list out the top five, I wanted to also mention that we continue to observe a highly interconnected risk landscape. And in particular, this time around, the top four risks are very much linked together through common drivers or as drivers of each other. And also the other thing to mention is that the ranking continues to reflect rapid digitalization in the industry, which we've been observing as a theme for some time now. So into the top five. Information security and cyber is still our top ranking risk by a significant margin, and that's consistent with what we've seen in the last two or so years, so not hugely surprising. In second place was third-party risk, and that's moved up one place since our last review, and then down one place. In third place is technology risk. In fourth position is data management. As you mentioned, Steve, this risk has been steadily climbing the rankings, having gone from 13th position two years ago to now being fourth. And that really reflects that theme around the value of data, which I'll get onto later. And then finally, in fifth place is people risk, which has entered the top five for the first time since our COVID risk review that we did back in May 2020. So that's the top five. I'll hand over to you, Steve, to start talking us through some of those key themes in the report. Great. Thanks, Amelia. The sort of key themes that we're going to outline are not necessarily, as Amelia said, the top risks, but they're the sort of 
trends that we see in the underlying drivers behind the data. And I think some of these are particularly interesting because I think they paint a picture of the pressures in the in the world, as well as within financial services organisations that are really beginning to impact the risk profile. The first one that we see picks up on that last risk that Amelia mentioned around people. It's not a surprise to us that that moved back into the top five. We've sort of almost been waiting for it, given um, what's going on in the world. Our members this time talked a lot about the turnover that they're seeing in staff, the competition for skills, and that's particularly for skills related to digital and data. Financial services organisations are competing within themselves, if you like, to get hold of those skills, but also with the market that's changed, looking at the sort of types of industries that the people with those skills are moving into now. It's far wider than financial services, and that's obviously a real challenge. In North America, in particular, they're talking about this great resignation that they're seeing at the moment, people moving roles for significant increases in salary. More generally, there are sort of resource challenges as well. So organisations are reporting a sense of having to do more with less. They're seeing employees disgruntled, dispersed working models with that flexibility post-COVID is making it difficult to keep morale up. Sometimes people are maybe losing that connection with work. And people is really seen as a, a driver across the sort of risks that we see in the profile. You know, some good examples there are the cyber risk and technology risk that we see in the top five. People is a real challenge there in terms of the skills, but also people making errors in the cyberspace and the technology space, etc. The other sort of factor that this influences can be organisational risk culture. There may be the potential for conduct and behavioural issues if you have a disgruntled workforce or a dispersed working model that continues and, and we don't work out how to enhance colleagues' experiences. I think the other sort of slightly longer term factor that we see is this concern about generation that's coming through and into the workplace now that there appears to be less of a desire to work in financial services. So our members are sort of thinking about how do you make the environment more attractive? What is it that makes that generation tick? So lots of sort of people and culture factors there that are dotted across the risk profile. The next theme we saw is really regulatory change. And there's a number of factors here. So undoubtedly an incredibly busy regulatory agenda that's impacting organisations across the globe. And if you are a global organisation, you're having to deal with multiple different types of, of regulation in the jurisdictions in which you operate, which is clearly a challenge. Anecdotally, talking to our members, we're hearing reports of, I guess, increasingly intrusive supervision. And I think that's really coming back post-COVID. And then also organisations are trying to think about how may the sort of regulatory landscape change in the future and therefore trying to think about how to future-proof their organisation for that. You know, a good example of that is thinking about particularly around climate and greenwashing. So thinking about what could be the implications for their products in the longer term. One that's really, really hard to ignore at the moment is the geopolitical impact on, on organisations. That's you know obviously hard with the situation in, in Ukraine, but it is wider than that, seeing issues across the globe and tensions across the globe. That brings the sort of cyber warfare threat into play and increases that. We're seeing the reports around energy security, and particularly in Europe at the moment. The final theme I, I was going to mention is around macroeconomic conditions. This clearly can't be ignored. We're seeing the sort of inflation cost of living crisis in many areas across the world. 
This has multiple impacts on operational risk for an organization. It increases an organization's cost base, which causes cost pressures. It impacts customers' ability to spend, to service debt, and in the worst cases can lead to increases in, in external fraud. And then also one that's creeping in more and more is the financial threat to a, a financial services organizations, third parties. That's really key as well. So I think that was the themes I was going to cover. Amelia, what else do you think we observed through this report? Thank you, Steve. I've got two more themes I'd like to talk through. The first thing I want to cover is data. So I mentioned earlier, data management risk has been steadily making its way into the top five now. And although there are a number of data management drivers that came up in the survey, I wanted to pick up on the theme around the strategic role and value of data. So what we're hearing across various ORX communities and work streams now is that the potential for data to play a key role, both in business strategy, but also in active risk management is starting to be explored more and more. But at the same time, and with that, um, data infrastructures are becoming more complex, and that's creating some specific challenges around things like data compatibility, data consistency, and importantly, also data quality. And there's specific concern around the potential impact of relying on untimely or inaccurate or poor quality data to inform decision making. That was called out in the survey on on numerous occasions. And then the other thing around data that we're hearing, still to a lesser extent, I would say, but nonetheless very interesting to mention, is concern around ethical use of data. And that's interesting because that's something which also came up in this year's Horizon report that we did earlier in the year on emerging risks. So it will be interesting to see how that continues to play out going forward. And then the second and final theme I wanted to cover off is around supply chain complexity, which is one of the common third-party risk drivers listed in the survey. And we're seeing a growing reliance on outsourcing to help drive rapid digital change. And that goes for both first and also third parties themselves. So what that means is that more and more services processes and infrastructures are being delivered indirectly by fourth or fifth parties. And that's making it very difficult to gain visibility of control environments and also to maintain clear and direct oversight. We also heard both in the survey and outside the survey anecdotally that this is something that's becoming also a key focus area for regulators, in particular in the sort of area of operational resilience of critical third parties. So I think that's all I wanted to cover. Steve, I'll hand back over to you just to finish off with some thoughts on what we expect to see in in our next review. Cool. Thank you very much. This is, I think, sort of a crystal ball moment. So in terms of the outlook that we're thinking about as we looked at the data here, and I think this is particularly where we saw information begin to creep into people's descriptions around their top risks that they're facing. We expect to see sort of information security and cyber remain where it is, I think, particularly given the geopolitical situation. I can't see it becoming less complex in the next six to 12 months. But also, I think we're also potentially going to see some other movements. I think we may see some change in in business continuity risk. I think whereas if we go back to the post-COVID review that we did, where clearly that was a concern with the working from home environment, etc., I think that concerns died off, but I think it could come back with a vengeance as we move into the next six to 12 months, particularly with the energy crisis in in Europe and other areas of the world, with the challenge posed with the Russia-Ukraine conflict. That's a real concern because it could really impact, I guess, things outside of organisations' control, particularly from an infrastructure perspective within a country. 
And we actually picked this point up at our resilience working group last week and talked about how firms are approaching this from a resilience perspective. And I think there were some interesting points that came out in that. Lots of our members there described how they're gaming out specific scenarios that may may crop up, particularly as we move into the autumn and, and winter, and really using those to drive out potential updates to their contingency plans. We also heard of one, I think, really interesting development, which is around people putting in place country risk ratings, but country risk ratings from a resilience perspective, and really using those to help prioritise their actions, but also then sort of monitor the situation as a higher priority as well. And then the the final thing, which again, I briefly mentioned earlier, was the monitoring of third parties from a sort of resilience perspective. Where are your third parties operating? What's the threat, particularly from an energy perspective in those countries, etc.? So some really interesting actions there. And we will be putting up a a short summary of that on the ORX website probably next week. Um, So the next area is conduct risk. We've been working for the last couple of years with people at home, and we've been sort of waiting to see if that will cause an impact from a behavior perspective. That'll be really interesting to see if if more fines begin to come through as issues are identified. We've just seen a a fine issued in the US for inappropriate use of personal devices. Now, that related partially to before COVID, but if that's the type of issue that regulators are looking at at the moment, we may begin to see some more fines for the COVID period. So that'll be an interesting one to monitor. And then I think the internal and external fraud, particularly given the macroeconomic conditions and the cost of living crisis, I think will be particularly interesting to monitor if they begin to increase. There's another area which doesn't come through in the results at the moment, but we're hearing lots of discussion around, and that's really the impact of of organisational transformation and the sort of downstream concerns of high levels of transformation going on in organisations at the moment. And that may have real knock-on impact within organisations. Overall, I'll caveat this with there is no crystal ball, but we do see sort of indications of, of upward trend in these places. I think the one observation that we do have is that the sort of speed of change within the industry and the speed at which risks materialise has has really significantly increased and I think is driving really increased monitoring of risks as well. That's really key in the environment that we're operating in. That's the summary of the report. We'll be conducting another review towards the end of the year. This report for ORX members is available on the website. If you're not an ORX member and would like the detail within this report, you'll be able to purchase it soon. And as a reminder, the Risk Horizons, that's the Emerging Risk Report that we published at the end of March, is also available to purchase for non-members. And you can contact us about this, as well as access our resources at www.orx.org. And with that, I'm going to say thank you to Amelia for firstly your work on the report, but also thank you for your contribution today. And just to let everyone know that if you're a regular listener, we'll be taking a break over August. So we'll be back in September with the next edition of our podcast. And with that, I will hand over to the ORX News team. Thank you. Hello and welcome. My name is Lily Richardson. I'm the ORX News Manager. And in case you haven't heard of ORX News, we're a subscription service from ORX, which covers publicly reported operational risk loss events in the financial sector from across the globe. 
Now, I'd like to introduce Fern, the Rx News Assistant Manager for Editorial. Thank you, Lily. Hi, everyone. In this month's episode, we'll take a brief look at the top five largest losses from June 2022. All losses are reported in US dollars. We'll also continue our ORX News data management series with the key topic of data migration failures. For this podcast, I'm joined again by Stanka, our foreign news researcher, who will kick us off with the top five. Thank you, Fern. Um, So kicking things off, we have NatWest in fifth, who had to pay $21 million to settle allegations that it had colluded with other banks to manipulate the Swiss franc LIBOR. In fourth, Credit Suisse will have to pay around $22 million for its involvement in laundering money for a Bulgarian drug cartel. This is the first criminal trial involving a major bank in Switzerland. At number three, we have UBS, who was fined $24.6 million by the US Securities and Exchange Commission, or the SEC, for mis-selling a strategy to consumers, which had been initially developed at Credit Suisse, but which UBS advisors did not properly understand. In second, payday loan company Sky Group agreed to pay $39 million to the SEC to settle claims that he had defrauded investors. June's largest loss was suffered by Charles Schwab, whose subsidiaries misled investors about the cash component of its robo-advisor service, uh, Schwab Intelligent Portfolios. The SEC ordered Schwab to pay $186.5 million. That's great. Thanks, Stanka. And now to our key topic, data migration failures. In 2021, Mizuho Bank suffered a data glitch, which closed about 80% of its ATMs. Stanka, can you please tell us a little bit more about what happened? Sure. Um, On the 28th of February 2021, Mizuho's systems became overloaded following a data transfer on some 700,000 accounts. About 4,300 of the bank's 5,400 ATMs were affected. The system failure was announced on Mizuho's website two hours after being detected, but many customers were still unaware of the problem and continued to lose their cards and bank books and ATMs. Normal operations resumed on the 1st of March. So what actually caused the issue? If you really want to get to the bottom of it, you have to go all the way back to 2002, when Mizuho was formed from the merger of three other banks. Internal conflicts led to difficulties in the integration of their computer systems, and so ATM transaction errors began occurring on the very first day of business, April 1st, 2002. It took over a month for systems to become fully operational. Then, in 2011, a second major failure occurred. The system was overburdened by donations sent to victims of the Tohoku earthquake in March. Mizuho then decided to invest around $3.6 billion into the development of a new computing system, which was launched in July 2019. All was well until the data migration of February 2021. Now, it turns out that in March 2021, Mizuho actually had about 60% fewer IT workers maintaining its systems compared to the previous year. When the Financial Services Agency, the FSA, began investigating the matter, they found that Mizuho had not implemented any corrective measures based on the orders issued in relation to the previous two incidents. Mizuho had disregarded system-related risks and rotated IT staff too often. Plus, their profitability had fallen, so they rushed to implement cost-cutting measures. And what was the impact on the customers? And how did the bank solve the problem? Well, to put it bluntly, it didn't. 
issues continued until as late as January 2022, when corporate clients experienced difficulties with Mizuho's online banking. Errors occurred throughout 2021, including a failure of communications control equipment resulting in mistransfer deadlines, a disruption of over-the-counter services due to hardware failures, and some more ATM malfunctions. After the incident, Mizuho began collecting and returning swallowed bank cards. They also sent branch staff to the affected locations. However, this process was very slow due to high demand and left many customers waiting by ATMs. It took until late April 2022 to return all bank cards and passbooks to customers. Eventually, several executives resigned over their governance failures. Some stepped down in April 2021, including the CEO, chairman, and some compliance executives. Others, notably Koji Fujiwara, the president of the Mizuho Financial Group, resigned after the FSA issued an administrative action against a bank. How did the regulators react to all of those blunders? Um, surprisingly, there are no fines, but the FSA issued Mizuho Bank and its parent company with a business improvement order to assess its recurring system failures. The Ministry of Finance also issued Mizuho with a corrective order over their breach of foreign exchange laws. During a system failure in September 2021, the bank failed to comply with certain anti-money laundering requirements. Thanks, Tanka. That's really informative. For our second example, we will discuss a very costly data migration failure at TSB. On the 20th of April 2019, TSB tried to migrate 1.3 billion customer records from a computer system hosted by Lloyds to its new owner, Sabadell. TSB said that it had completed the migration. However, many customers reported not being able to access their accounts and worse even, some customers were able to view the details of other users via online banking. The details included sort codes and account numbers. Other issues included unexplained credit and zero balances, missing payments and in-branch problems. On April 24th, TSB briefly took down its mobile app and online banking, but some customers were still experiencing issues over a month later. So we know that both the UK Information Commissioner's Office and the Financial Conduct Authority launched investigations into the incident, and TSB also commissioned a report from law firm Slaughter in May. What were the conclusions that these reports reached? The migration was planned in 2015 when TSB was sold to Sabadell. However, TSB didn't do enough testing because Sabis, Sabadell's IT service provider, had recommended testing only one of five data centers. The report also criticized Carlos Abarca, TSB's chief information officer at the time, for failing to escalate and resolve the issues. The report suggested that Abarca had misjudged TSB's readiness due to pressures from Sabadell to meet the migration deadline. The report also stated that TSB's board didn't fully understand the scope and complexity of the platform migration, consequently failing to challenge Sabadell and Sabis. TSB didn't agree with some aspects of the report. Specifically, the bank said that a key cause of the extensive disruption was that, that two data centers built to support the new platform were misconfigured in some areas. It added that the issues around coding and capacity were intensified by the high volume of customer inquiries, which exceeded the contingency resources already in place. 
TSB added that the overall governance of the program had been assessed by external experts before the migration and deemed to be rigorous and appropriate for a program of this scale and complexity. I know that there's some big numbers involved in this loss event. Can you walk us through how much this debacle has cost TSB? Yes, it's a lot. In its 2018 four-year results, TSB recognized a total cost of over £330 million. The costs comprise customer readiness, £107 million, customer rectification, nearly £18 million, fraud and operational losses, over £49 million, and additional resource and advisory costs, over £122 million. An additional £33.5 million was recognized as waived interest in fee income. And six months later, TSB announced additional costs of over 36 million, bringing the total cost of this migration failure to a staggering 366 million pounds. Um, just to note that this is a first for the podcast because Oryx News has actually published deep dives on both of these events that we've discussed. Um, These can be found over on our website in the deep dive section and provide a bit more detail about what happened. Thank you, Stanka. The ORX News podcast will be taking a short break during August. We will return in September with the top five and the last episode of our data management series, where we will be focusing on data breaches via third-party providers. We hope that you can join us then. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed listening to this month's podcast. If you'd like to know more about the top five losses, then please visit the RX website, where you can find the top five losses for each month, as well as a range of up-risk reports and resources. You can also read the full digest for each of the stories discussed in this episode on the RX website. Just search rx.org. Join us next time to hear next month's top five losses. Thank you.